0: China You go over to China 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 I have to have my China 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 because China I know China very well China 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 now China 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 You wanna buy from China that's great buy from China 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 all the time
1: Matthew Eric, welcome back to Renegade Inc. Thank you for having me back. Matthew um Reading a lot of your writing uh, and locating us uh, where we are at the moment, let me just say it, uh, the Cold War 2.0, you know, throughout Donald Trump's presidency, China, 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 uh, Biden, I'm sure, will carry that on. Uh, The left, in many ways, have been told that it's the Kremlin who are putting reds under the bed. Uh, The conservative right, uh, well, they're grazing on a diet of anti-China rhetoric. Uh, how new is all this? And give us the historical context between uh, the both sides of this coin, if you like.
0: Yeah, as I'm sure your viewers are aware, this is not a new game. This is the same formula that was unhatched up at the, right after World War II. Many people think that the Iron C- Curtain speech was the thing that ushered in the Cold War of 1946 um, in uh, Missouri. That's actually not true. When you dig a little bit deeper, um, you find that the precedent for that was set when a similar um, media scandal was cooked up, run out of uh, British intelligence operations here in Canada, when a, a certain cypher clerk in the Russian embassy named Igor Guzenko uh, left one evening in on September 5, 1945, with a, an apparent list of proofs of, of Russian collusion with certain agents within the Canadian, American, and British establishment to uh, overthrow Western democracy. Uh, this Created a media scandal. Uh, there were secret hearings, royal commissions that were set up to investigate who these people were. They were dragged, tortured, psychologically uh, taken down. You know, uh, rights of habeas corpus were removed for these people who were apparently Russian spies. Um, many of these figures were leading members of the uh, the Progressive Party of Canada, um, who were allied with Henry Wallace and other e- allies of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who had a vision for U.S.-Russia-China alliance. Uh, after World War II had ended. These are people who had called out the fascist support that was being given by many of the Western financial networks and industrialists, including in Canada, uh, for Hitler, for Mussolini. So these were very loud voices and they were slandered, called commies and, uh, and put in jail and given jail time for things that they had nothing to do with. And as we discovered 40 years later, when these files that were used um, in the trial were declassified in 1985, and journalists finally had a chance to look through the microfilms to see well, what was this proof? What were these, these 108 documents with all of the, the secret names of these agents? They, there was nothing there. There was really just telephone books, uh, resumes, uh, you know, shopping lists. So <laughs> it was all a complete psy-op. It, none, none of it was real. And of course, that created and it, it turned the pro-Russian sympathies, because obviously Russia had just fought World War II alongside the the, the allies of the West, um, and we we, were, we had very strong sympathies. So that really turned the tide against that and was channeled against the greatest patriotic people like like Paul Robeson, like Henry Wallace, and others who really had a, a very strong vision that would not have allowed the Cold War to happen. Um, but instead, what we saw was McCarthyism, the House of Un-American Activities, the FBI takeover of the USA. And, uh, and that really tainted much of modern history, which could have gone a very beautiful and different direction had FDR not died and had this not been created out of thin air. So as you said, there's a definite replay of that same game plan today with, on the one hand, the, le- the people who have been more left symp- sympathetic have been led to believe that the Russians are behind all the problems of the world, that they put their, their puppet Trump into power in 2016. And then on the, the more conservative minded people, um, whether it's here in Canada, Britain, Australia, USA big time, they're now being led to believe China is the natural enemy of the USA and of the West. Uh, in both cases, they're equally wrong.
1: For um, people who have to uphold this uh, Cold War 2.0, what's the upside for them? Who are they and what's the upside? Well, I think it's always,
0: it's always useful to create a boogeyman where um, there is none. I mean, obviously it's, it's easier to control people when they're afraid and ignorant of, of their neighbors. On the other hand, uh, when people today are, are angry with China or Russia for interfering in Western governments, they often miss the fact that the color revolutionary regime change process that's been underway now for many decades, really, I mean, it, it got underway in the modern form in uh, the, the Philippines in 1986, when Lord Ma- Mark Mallet Brown, as well as George Soros, played a very key role in overthrowing the government of Ferdinand Marcos and creating a a completely fraudulent perception management combo that used a a form of color revolution uh, at the time to install a series of puppet governments after Marcos, a nationalist leader of of the Philippines, was ousted. And this was replicated throughout the 90s in post-Soviet space and really got underway in a new fashion after 9-11. We've seen it in Libya, we've seen it across, uh, more recently in Venezuela, in Ukraine, it's the same operation with a lot of the same actors from Project Democracy, organizations that are CIA-affiliated, open society organizations that are tied to Soros. So people, they don't really look at the pedigree of what's happening. So it's ironic that people say, oh, China is obviously behind all of this, but it's, you know, look at what China's had to deal with, both in Hong Kong, which was also a target for these these operations. And uh, Russia had the same thing on its perimeter, as well as inside of its own country now with Navalny. Um, so it, you... Look at where the actual causal hand is located. And it's not Russia and China who are doing these things. Um, It's located more at home, more around the Five Eyes community and what's controlling that. Um, And that's where you're going to start seeing the real uh, arsonists lighting fires
1: all over the, the village. Is it not the case that continuing to do these things, whether it be Venezuela, whether it be Syria, whether it be Libya, that the public are looking on now and thinking, you know what, this looks incredibly like the last one. Is it the case that the neocons strategy is showing now, but they haven't got another playbook, so they just have to double down on these failures?
0: No, absolutely. There's a lack of creativity, for sure, and and a certain, I think, overconfidence. When one uh, tries to play God, sometimes one makes the mistake of believing that they are God and can get away with whatever they want. And I think that over the years, uh, anything that the, the powers that be who are running uh, these, these nasty operations, whatever they've wanted, they've been able to get without too much ado, whether it was, you know, taking the dollar off the gold standard, you know, over, overhauling the Bretton Woods system, creating wars uh, in Iraq, uh, in Libya, you know, they wanted a regime in Ukraine, they got that too. If they wanted an assassination, they would get that too. And then it was really only in 2013, 2014, 15, that you really started seeing their script not working anymore, but they kept on just doing their script. And I think that the Russia-China alliance, which took really uh, a new form of evolution with the announcement of the belt, the belt and Road Initiative by Xi Jinping, and then the increasing merger of the Eurasian Economic Union as, into the framework of the Belt and Road Initiative, and the extension of the Belt and Road increasingly into the Polar Silk Road as of 2018, and just increasing bond of survival as well as a new financial architecture set up uh, largely uh, by China, to help fund these large scale projects, whether it's in Eurasia or Africa or South America. Th- this has been able to create a power block that's been capable of resisting and overthrowing a lot of the uh, the, the elements on the script.
1: As this multipolarity increases, as more partnerships are born, uh, what happens to the so-called West? Do they look on and just not invited to that party? Do they try and disrupt? Do they go to war? Do they? What do they do to try and hinder the development, the progress, uh, and the economic capacity uh, in Russia, China?
0: Well, I, as you, uh, you pointed out, uh, war is a possibility, and it's not a, it's not a desirable one for anyone. However, as um, some have been led to believe that it's better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And I think that there, the idea of going to war, as we've seen from Admiral Richards, who runs Stratcom and his recent remarks, uh, they're bone-shilling. Um, how he's made it very clear that the US, the West as a whole, NATO have to be prepared to unleash a nuclear war with Russia and with China. So we do see that this is, this is not going to continue indefinitely. There are two coexistent systems that are completely incompatible currently on the earth. One is founded on certain principles of, of win-win cooperation. The self-interest of all participants will benefit by large-scale projects, Nord Streams, but one of many. And it's founded on not not the sort of banking activities that we have dominant in the west for many decades of speculating on fictitious commodities and assets and debts that will never be paid it's a completely different way of thinking about political economy so knowing that the current financial system that we live under is tanking like a like a titanic at, at some point we're gonna we're going to get a blow out of that system and that's scientifically validatable it's just a question of when um, when you look at what's holding together this 1.2 quadrillion dollar derivatives bubble which is completely fictitious capital, very little of that has representation in the real physical part of the economy that supports life. So there is a race to control the new system that will be brought in line. And indeed, I think the those trying to manage the show from the top in the unipolar perspective of things, they do recognize that nations are going to jump on board with the the Belt and Road Initiative very quickly, faster than they already have been under the condition of, of that breakdown crisis, which is why they're trying everything on the books to destabilize, and nothing short of nuclear war. So that is a, a gigantic
1: risk, a massive risk, and it's something that people
0: do need to think very seriously
1: about. As we wind up, you uh, rhetorically ask in one of your pieces, what is it about Putin and Z which inspires such fear in the hearts of the great reset architects? In the simplest terms, the answer is, open system economics. Just tell us what open system economics uh, is uh, and tell us why that is sending chills down the uh, spines of, of these great resetters as you call them.
0: Going back to the idea of an operating system that will manage the current uh, fallout of the, the economic system that's melting down here, we have something that's been come to be known as the great reset. What will be the framework uh, of that new system. Um Russia and China have made it very clear, you can read the speeches as look at, as well as looking at the policy actions of both Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping and Putin, that the new system has to be founded upon multilateralism, win-win cooperation, non-zero sum geopolitics. That's very important because a zero a closed system is zero sum. You have a concept of a finite amount of energy uh, that has to be distributed to people as the population grows or diminishes, you have to have people managing the diminishing rates of returns. Of resources to the people in an open system, there's no sense that there's a, an absolute finiteness of the human caring capacity of the of the energy or the resources available for mankind to use for the benefit of a, of our species. Meaning that it's encouraging new creative discoveries, new technologies that are being brought online. New resources are being created and encouraged by the new discoveries into nuclear power, the atom fusion, uh, space exploration. So you're always going beyond the limits. Of your boundary conditions in the open system paradigm. In the closed system paradigm, you're sort of adapting to a fixed ecosystem, a fixed set of relationships, and you're being told that that's all we have to deal with is just manage the diminishing returns. Um, so I think in, in that sense, uh, when you when you just look at the large scale twenty to fifty year projects of mega infrastructure, greening deserts, uh, you know, water projects of Africa, Asia, and beyond, as well as uh, Space exploration to develop uh, lunar bases, which Russia and China have in common. They they have a, a joint mission to do this together, which also involves resource extraction, helium three mining from the moon. These are things that are completely incompatible with the sort of more dominant Davos Club um, of Klaus Schwab and and his little network of uh, of technocrats and billionaires who are really giddy about just creating green energy grids, green new deals all around the world, which will cr- impose restrictions that aren't even here yet onto what we can do as a species to support agro-industrial development. All of the activities necessary to support life in the billions won't be there anymore. Um, and that will be financially incentivized under a green uh, central bankers climate compact as, as has been laid out by uh, Mark Kearney and others. And that's not something which is, like I said, in any way compatible with the open system paradigm.
1: Billion-dollar question. Ready? Mm. Open versus closed, is it the giddy technocrats that win out or is it the people who genuinely want to serve their populations, embrace multipolarity and make everybody economically more autonomous than they are at the moment?
0: I don't have my crystal ball, but uh, I think that uh, you know where my heart sits and uh, I hope most of your viewers feel the same way, but uh, it, it will be a very interesting time in the coming weeks and months ahead. Matthew, always
1: great to have you, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me back.